our gracious God, we bow to you now, amazed and awed at your glory, majesty, and honor. You, you alone are worthy of worship. And as we have worshiped you in this time, we seek you to be lifted up and for you to fill us. May we be your people. May we be your servants. May those around us not just see us as in your image created, but those us walking forth and walking in your spirit, filled with your spirit. Use us and glorify yourself in us. Lord, as we open your word now, as we look here to plans for the fall, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us in all things. And I pray this in your son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you would please take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. What I'd like to do here this morning is to give an introduction on the importance of doctrine. What is doctrine? Teaching. And not just teaching in the sense of what is being taught, of what is of the act of teaching, but of what is being taught. Doctrine includes all of those things. And I'd like to overview some of the plans that I have in teaching and preaching schedule for this um, coming weeks and months here in the fall. Much of it has to do with doctrine. And I'd like for us to use, actually, our church's statement of faith as an outline. We have many different topics in our statement of faith, and they, most of them begin with the word, we believe. And I hope, indeed, that truly is we believe. Sometimes doctrinal statements are what we refer to as generic. And um, as I've spent some time meditating on our church's statement of faith, I have, I have observed that it is generic. But at the same time, generic's not all bad. In fact, there's a lot of trouble when it gets too creative, and a lot of trouble comes into doctrine. But the danger of it in that sense of being generic is that sometimes we gloss over it or we take it for granted. I know there have been many statements of faith that I have perused and referenced of organizations, of missionaries, of individuals, and um, of churches. And oftentimes I am evaluating them from an academic and or from a very specific theological perspective. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But our statements of faith are not dead or ought not to be. And what we believe, we ought to know why we believe, and it ought to make a big difference in our lives. And so when we're looking at a statement of faith or a doctrinal statement, we're not looking at it to see, oh, I agree, I disagree. But are they really, the truths of them, lodged deep in our hearts, making a difference in how we live? 
And so in the coming weeks, my desire and goal is to teach through our church's statement of faith and the different points that we have there, but not just on an academic level. Actually, the way that I intend to do it is to um, each week address a different section of it, and that's going to be really hard to narrow it down into just one sermon for each section, but we're going to attempt to do it, to go through each section, and not just each section, but then to bring application to our lives and how these statements of faith or how these theological positions can be applied in our everyday life. You know, we think of the Bible. Well, that's probably one that is significant, and we can see parallels of how that can make a difference in our lives. But really, what we believe about this book, truly believe, will profoundly change how we live. We have the doctrine of God. What do we believe about God? And not just the concept, but who He personally is. And not just what we believe about Him, but do we believe in Him also can make a profound difference and change in our lives. And the list goes right on down through from the Bible all the way down through our statement of faith regarding things of end-time events, of prophecy. Do these things, do we really believe them? Do we know why we believe them? And then, do we know how to apply them? And so, one of the strategies that I have here in teaching through this is to take one message and to cover the doctrines the biblical truths relating to the Bible, to God, to the fall of man, to the salvation of man, to the believer's position in Christ, the church, the second coming, and some of the truths that are presented in our church's church covenant. But as we deal with these in the biblical and theological truth perspective, in one sermon, the following week, I'd like to take those same truths, so for example, on the Bible, and bring them to a very practical and personal level of what that looks like. So here we have a statement of faith of what we believe about the Bible, and now how does that impact our day-to-day -day lives? And then we continue on to the topic of God and dealing with some of those theological perspectives of our views of about God, but what difference does that make in our personal lives. One of the ways in which I'd like to do it is actually very much in, in the perspective of family life, in our personal life and in our family life. So, for example, many of you are married or desire to be married. What difference, what distinction, what significance does the doctrine of God hold in your marriage? Actually, before I give you all the answers, I'd like you to think about it. What does the significance of who God is as the eternal one, as the creator, who he is as the one who is omnipotent and almighty, how does that change your relationship with your spouse? I suggest to you that it should profoundly change 
your relationships, not just between husbands and wives, but in all of your relationships. Your view, and not just view, but relationship with God and also with His Word, which is living, will make or should make a profound difference in your relationships and in your individual lives. I'd like for us to look at Ephesians chapter 4 as we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, buried, and risen again and ascended to the throne on high, he has given some gifts to his church. And in Ephesians chapter 4, look with me at verse 11. It says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here we have a description of the church, the body of Christ. You, you, the body of Christ. And God has given to us, the body of Christ, gifts. Here, they are people, and they're given different significance, and their job is listed, or their, their positions are listed in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 11, and their work is to be perfecting of the saints. Again, that's you. The whole concept here of perfecting is, is to build up into maturity, to grow up, to grow up. And it's interesting because you see here that some instruction is given in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, we are saints, we are Christians, and a Christian is a little Christ, a little Christ. But God desires for us to be perfected, to be matured, to grow up more and more to be like Christ. And one way this is done significantly is through the teaching of doctrine, to knowing the truth, to be unified in the truth. And notice here that as it speaks of in some ways the theoreticals of doctrine, it goes on to speak of how it's very practical. It's impacting life. It's going to impact how the church interrelates with itself in love. 
So oftentimes, people have taught and thought that if we would only love each other and all these other things about who God is and what the Bible says about this topic and that topic and this topic, doesn't matter, we set those aside. Well, actually, no, we take those together and we come to the unity of the truth, which ought to then not just be some theoretical um, head knowledge, but resulting in a ministry of love that edifies the body as a whole. So it's not just, as some people have oftentimes thought of theology as somehow an academic exercise. Theology is not an academic exercise. Theology is a vital and core part of who we are to know our God, our Creator, and what He has said about our history where we've been as a human race and all his workings with us and to what he has in store for us in the future, all of this ought to change who we are as a people. And so theology is something that is not just the study of God in academics, but ought to be something that is real in changing us to grow up. Now, some of you might think that theology is just for the pastors and teachers or the grown-ups. I think it's interesting here that, as he cautions here, he says that we be not henceforth as children. Um, you know, children are, are very easily, easily influenced. That's why sometimes when um, it's a, an issue that doesn't matter in our house, I will sometimes recruit and solicit the um, support of my children in helping them persuade mommy of something. Again, on things that don't make a big difference. Um, but, you know, they're, they're easily, easily persuaded. And sometimes I even know objections that mommy will raise, and I purposely leave those out, you know, because, you know, just get them sold on the idea. Well, if we're that way in theology or we allow ourselves to be influenced that way in our doctrine, in our theology, in our view of God, in our view of the Bible, in our view of the world around us, in our view of what sin is, in our view of what salvation is, then we are setting ourselves up for shipwreck. We are setting ourselves up for disaster. And Paul knows and understands that, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, go, at this point, considering this ministry, that Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, was buried, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God now, he has given to his church these individuals to perfect them in truth, to establish them, to ground them in truth, so that when the winds of doctrine, of philosophy, of opinions fly into your home or into your mind or into your heart, you have a sure foundation. This is one reason why throughout history, um, teachers, pastors have sought to take and to create statements of faith, doctrinal statements to help to take so much truth that is found all through our Bibles and to assimilate it and consolidate it systematically into a statement of understanding, trying, albeit oftentimes it's hard to do, to take the concepts of truth of who God is and what it is means and what the Bible is and all of life and to summarize it 
so that it can be something we can look to. And when the trouble comes, we have that sure foundation of saying, wait, no. In all the context of Scripture, this doesn't fit. And to be able to then come and filter those things that whatever the philosophies or the opinions may come, we can stand sure in what is truth. Now, I said to you that it's, um, it's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. So our church has a statement of faith, and it's, it's, it's very simple. In fact, here I have a copy of our church's um, constitution, which includes our statement of faith. And our statement of faith is all covered on two pages. Two pages. And you might think, wow, how do you summarize some of these topics? I mean, this here, we have the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of God, the fall of man, the salvation of man, the believer's position in Christ, the church, and the second coming. And you can summarize all of that in two pages? Well, those that have gone before us have done just that. Um, Pastor Virgil, for a long time, in wanting to revise the Constitution, one of the things that often held him up from doing what we did last year um, was the thought that, you know, to, to update this and to make this um, more, more thorough and complete, and, and it just always became an overwhelming project, which is why when we did our constitutional revision last year, we said, we're not touching these two pages. We're just not going to touch these two pages. Um, part of that is because, for the most part, these two pages are good as is, um, but then also it just, be, it just, when do you stop? Where do you stop? Because you're trying to take doctrines and, and to simply, concisely state them. And here, we have done that just on two pages. Now, as I submit that to you, let me admonish you, especially as a member of this church or children who are wanting to grow up or wanting to become members. Do you know what these two pages say? Do you understand these two pages? Would you be able to take these two pages and would you truly be able to say as, well, really every section begins with the phrase, we believe. And do you really believe what is said here? I submit to you that if you don't understand what is listed here, you can't believe it. So that's one of the purposes why this fall we want to take time to go through these sections. There are seven sections of basic Bible doctrine and look at them and make sure that as a whole church, truly indeed, we believe and also understand and also know how to apply, how to apply these basic and simple truths. So as I've said here, it is on two pages. Now, those who would like to join our church, we ask, and as affirmed in our Constitution, that for you to join this church, you, you must be able to say, as the statement says, I believe. I believe each of these important points and truths that have come from the Bible. And it's, it's again, just on two pages. Now, we could go a lot further. And the struggle that I am going to have in the coming weeks is how much further to go from the simple truths stated here to be able to make sure that you understand them. Because some things are stated here in summary that we could preach an entire sermon on a single word um, of some of this. And so pray for me to know where the balance is of that, 
of how deep to go. And at the same time you pray for me, I encourage each and every one of you to attempt to yourself go deeper. In fact, I would have no greater joy than to stand up here and to preach through this and for you to have already in your own time and in your own home already spent time studying this and so that there's nothing new that I preach to you. For you have taken the time yourself personally to understand what is presented in here, our church's doctrinal statement. So for the next coming weeks, this is kind of our outline. This is going to be our outline for the series of messages that we're going to do. And again, we're going to begin with the doctrinal truths one week and then follow it up with the practical message of how that doctrinal truth can make a difference in our own personal and individual lives. And so, many of you should have a copy of our church's constitution. And so what I would encourage you to do is to get that copy out and begin to review these two pages. Now, I told you that there's a lot more that could be said. Well, there's some other resources I want to encourage you to consider having in your home and available to your family in the coming weeks. One of them, and oftentimes when somebody wants to join the church, I give them this this constitution, which includes the church's statement of faith, and I encourage them to say, this is what the church believes as a whole and we're unified on, and to join the church, you too need to believe these, these truths. But then I always give them a copy of my own doctrinal statement. And so what's summarized here in two pages, I have taken and summarized in 17 pages. And so taking these doctrines and going into more detail. So in the church's statement of faith, the doctrine of the Bible, there's just a paragraph that is listed there with a few references. In my personal statement of faith and summary, an entire page I have dedicated to the topic of the Bible and the different aspects and significance of the Bible. And so I would encourage you that this too would be a good resource as a very basic understanding of some of these doctrines on a little bit of a deeper level. What I'd like to present to you is actually a spectrum of things. The very basic paragraph on each doctrine to more of a page on each doctrine, but also I'd like for your families to consider some other resources. I'll start with two that are complementary. Charles Ryrie wrote a book called Basic Theology. It's a 600-page book. So what is summarized in two pages here, Charles Ryrie has taken 600 and some pages to deal with in a more detailed way. An exceptional resource and a very valuable resource for every family to have available in your home library. If ever a question comes and arises of a doctrinal position or a theological position you hear, or perhaps you're struggling through an issue or a question, say, on what is the Trinity and, or what is the deity of Christ and how is it true from the Bible, this is a very valuable resource that if you've never learned them or you have forgotten or you have misplaced your notes on that particular topic, where you can go to the shelf in your home quickly, readily, and pull this off the shelf and do a quick look. I highly recommend this being in your home because we've moved into an era of time of where we Google stuff. Charles Ryrie is a much better authoritative and biblical source than Google. I hope I don't have to stress that to you. Um, to, to do that, 
it, it really is a struggle. And so teach your children to have and know what resources like this are and have them in your home so that you can turn and deal with and have it. Charles Ryrie deals with it very systematically. That means that he takes all of the verses dealing with a particular topic throughout the entire Bible and he compiles them together to be able to present a summary of that particular doctrine or truth or answering of a question in a concise way. And so this is his basic theology. But some of you might find this in the next coming months of a resource as maybe a little bit heavy, deep, technical. Well, guess what? Charles Riley and Charles Ryrie anticipated that. And so he wrote an abridged version. And we have both of these books in the library, and I'm going to put them out in the back there. And again, I encourage you as families to take a look at these. These are both great resources to have in your library. This one's a good one to have as a resource, and this one will be a good one in the coming weeks for you to actually read along with, where again, he's taking again and dealing with the different doctrines, the basic doctrines of Christianity, and is summarizing them. Um, really, this, this is more of like a, a, a seminary textbook, and this is more of a high school, college textbook um, in summary things. But again, I want to be careful because I'm using the word textbook, and immediately we think academic. I want to tell you that basic theology, and this is, there is an element of academic to it, but please don't let that shy, scare you or shy you away from it because the truths that are systemized or, or summary systemized in these books are very real and vital for your day-to-day living. And so just kind of to take an understanding and summary review, you know, our church's statement of faith is two pages, which is expanded in my statement of faith to 17 pages, which then is summarized in a short, less than 200-page book to then all the way to a 600-page book. And oh, by the way, if you're looking for something bigger and deeper than Charles Ryrie, Louis Spears Schaefer has a full eight volumes um, of, of resource, and he gets deep. So there are a lot of people who have time, and, and I say that as deep, and I don't want to say that to you know, scare you away or to think that it's not important. Um, these, these truths are, are very important, and it's very important for us to truly consider them and to understand them. And as, as your pastor, I want to um, expose you to resources that are, are available both in our church's library, but also can be in your home and can be an important part um, for you as we continue through this. So uh, as an illustration, as we anticipate dealing with the topic of the Bible, um, I would love for you as a family to, to begin by by reviewing the church's statement of faith, the paragraph on that, and, and seeking to understand that. And if you have questions, drop an email and let me know questions you have ahead of time. And then to be reading ahead, beginning with my doctrinal statement. I'm not trying to plug my statement. This here is actually not totally really original to me. It is simply me taking and compiling many things that others have said and saying here, I like how this has been worded and I agree with this particular way, and this is a presentation. Again, so this would be a great secondary place for you as families and individuals to be reading ahead, to be preparing yourself, um, and to also, really, I'd love for it to be asking questions, because I can, in my study, anticipate questions and guess questions, but I'll tell you, I have a different background than many of you do, and so I need to know what questions you have, things that may be familiar to me, and I think that everyone's known them because I've been taught them from a little wee child, 
Maybe you have no clue what that word or concept is and may need to develop it some more. So please, please send questions. And so some of you I would encourage, I would encourage all of you to start by studying our church's statement of faith. That's very important. And I'd encourage all of you also to look and to review my statement of faith. But then I really, really highly encourage you as families to read, to get a copy of this book and to read the chapters that are connected to what we're going to be preaching on from here to begin your mind in thinking on the topic so that as we come to it here together, you already have a basic of a foundation of it. So the point is that when we overview and summarize it together, it will be there. And then for some of you, you're going to love this. So those of you who are going to love this, uh, do this, and I'd encourage you to take and to look ahead at the doctrinal statement and to see where it ties in with these resources so that you can work in yourself and prepare yourself in looking to these coming weeks. In considering all of this, let us be not children. Some of you, I'm looking out, huge percentage of you are children. Now, what you define as a child may be debatable. Um, actually, all of us are children. That's what's Paul's point in this comment. But think about it as children. Can I challenge you, children, and I mean actual children who perceive themselves as children? Don't think this is just for the adults. This is for you. This is for you as much as it is for the adults. It's for all of us. Because right now, many of you are in your homes and your moms and dads protect you from the winds of doctrine. They protect you from those doctrines of devils. They protect you from so many of the vain philosophies of this world. Praise God. But you yourself personally need yourself to not just grow in stature physically, but to grow in Christ, to grow up in maturity of knowing your God. Knowing your God. I think of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, when he was 12 years old, was in the temple? And I imagine many of you know the history of this, of the fact that he got left behind. And sometimes we like to dismiss some of these events and things about Jesus and say, well, that's because he was God. Well, first of all, I got a question for you. How do you know he's God? But that's another topic. We're going to talk about that. You know, we, but we dismiss this. We say, oh, well, he was 12 years old, and he was in the temple, and he was talking with the, the scholars and the learned ones in the temple, and, and he, was, he was doing all of that because he's God. Well, guess what? You're right. But are you a Christian? And what is a Christian? A little Christ. One who is like Christ. And so if you are a little Christ or like Christ, then that means that this priority of Jesus, of having a relationship with his God and being about his God, his Father's business, he being God, so ought we as little children. He was but 12 years old when he was discussing with them and they were astonished 
at his understanding and answers. We shouldn't just dismiss that as, oh, that's because he's God. Children, especially as you're arriving at that, that age of 12, um, do you know the scriptures? And do you know your God? And so as we look at this study, don't think, oh, this is just for the adults. Actually, it's for all us children because we are all children and if we are Christians, we are little Christs who need to be growing up. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 gives very specific instructions to, from Paul to Timothy in his ministry in the church. And it's interesting here, we don't have time to go through the whole detail, but I'd like to overview it for you and then I'd like to read it to you. Paul is admonishing Timothy in his ministry as one who is one of those referred to over in Ephesians 4 as, as one of the pastor's teachers. Timothy is very specifically a pastor. And it's interesting as he deals with the teaching of, and the need of teaching, and then he's dealing with some particular issues that were problems. And it's interesting because some of the issues and problems that he cites are actually still issues and problems today, although they're unlikely impacting many of you. But those issues and things could be substituted for a whole list of things. You'll hear a lot of people in our day and age offering opinions about, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and the Bible contones that, and, and the Bible supports this. And the Bible is used in many ways. And it's interesting here where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's giving him some instructions in his ministry, and it is there... Um, and you see him going back and forth between what is, what is what some of us call academic, and that's the problem, is that it's not academic. The doctrines of truth of God are, are real and important and impact our practical living, and they kind of go back and forth here. And so with that, I'd like to read it, and you look for the significance of what is taking place here, and then the admonition given to Timothy. He writes, 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, this is the Spirit of God, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. We live in the latter times. The latter times in a, has, has a specific definition, but includes the time from when Christ ascended to his return in its broadest sense. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Here we have the most extreme description of the false winds of doctrine that can carry you away. an illustration of this and how it was. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, those are some interesting pieces, and again, we don't have time to go into them here this morning, but you know, here's two practical life things that the doctrines of devils and seducing spirits are causing trouble with. 
so basic things as marriage and food. Food. How we could carry that one on and ask a lot of questions. Here, God, he makes a basic summary response to this of doctrine. Here's theology, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So he starts off citing that there's going to be a falling away from the faith and that there's going to be a problem of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, an extreme form of leading astray. And then he deals with something. You might think, wait, this might have to do with some really bad stuff, you know, doctrines of the devil. But it's as basic as food and as significant as marriage which is basic but significant. Here is an illustration of how the winds of doctrine and the seducing of spirits and the doctrines of devils and the opinions of man, and we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and, on and list them, influence and have impact in things as significant as marriage, the most sacred relationship first created in the Garden of Eden before sin, to the simplicity of what you eat. <clears throat> Verse 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Timothy, as a pastor, is given special instruction to set the people whom he shepherds in remembrance of good doctrine and also of a good conscience. This is being a good minister. What are the words of faith, truth, dependability, and good teaching? Verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Oh, the distractions that come in life. Consider this here when you find yourself in certain conversations around your dinner table, around the lunch table on Sunday, in the break room at work. I don't think, well, let me ask you this question. What are the modern-day old wives' fables? Do you think that that was just a problem in Ephesus in that time? I admonish you to consider your conversations, to consider the conversations and the things that you hear, and to say, are these what Paul's talking about? the old wives' fables? And am I wasting my time on old wives' fables? I'll tell you, the sneakiness described here of how the devil plays our games 
in our minds, and we so often look at this and we gloss over that old wives' fables, having no idea what it is. Now, he actually does talk about what some of this is. But, and we think, oh, well, that must be for them, them Ephesus people. Stop for a moment and ask, what are the old wives' fables in topic at your house? I promise you that they're sneaking in. What are they? Are you able to identify them? Refuse them. Rather, exercise thyself unto godliness. We so often can get distracted by these things and neglect what really is godly and we need to be focused on. It's interesting because now he talks about godliness and he talks about exercising yourself in godliness. Well, what is exercise? Exercise is actually, uh, there's a lot to it and I don't want to go into dissertation about what exercise is, but it a, it's a, involves a repetitiveness and it involves a consistency and it involves a strengthening. And we do it for our bodies as we should. In fact, he says for bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't profit nothing, it's important that we have exercise. But you know what? Even acknowledging the fact that bodily exercise is important, actually, you could look at this and say he's making a point saying that bodily exercise is important, but when you compare it to godly exercise, it's real little. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. See, sometimes people think of the doctrine and study of doctrine as something that's, you know, high pie-in-the-sky stuff. Well, if it is high pie-in-the-sky stuff, that's a problem. Your doctrine is just empty. But if your doctrine is alive, as it should be, then it should be bringing about life in the life that is now as well as eternal life. Verse 9, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. Accept it. It's true. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit in faith and purity. Paul writes, till I come, give attendance to reading. That's the reading of the scriptures publicly. To exhortation, that is the encouraging and the teaching and expounding of these scriptures. And to doctrine of the teaching The till I come is a reference of Paul to Timothy and looking forward to see Timothy. But when I look at that, I see it in an expanded way till Jesus comes. Till Jesus comes. What is our priorities in our lives? Are we exercising in godliness? We need good doctrine. And these things need to be our focus. And not just theoretical or academic, but in our daily personal lives. Who God is should make a difference in our lives. 
what this book is should make a difference in our lives. The truths and history of what man is really should make a difference in our lives. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation of man ought to make a difference in our own lives and our relationship with our God, but also ought to make a difference in how we interact with other people, especially the lost. What is this church? What do we get together for? Is it a social club? What is this church? And how does this church, as the living body of Christ, truly live? And all that stuff about prophecy, is it really all that important? Oh, yes, it is. It gives us hope. It gives us motivation. And it tells us what is yet to come so that we can understand not only the past, but also the future. And so I encourage you in the coming weeks, be intentional with me. Join me in truly, sincerely, and earnestly seeking to know God and his word and what he has to say about basic doctrines, basic truths, and what they should look like in our lives. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We pray that it might be living not as only it just is, but living in our own personal and individual lives. Fill us with your Spirit, and may your Spirit teach us that we may know the truth, that we may not be carried about by every wind of doctrine, that we may not be seduced or led astray, but be firmly grounded, firmly planted, in truth and in you that we may grow up that we might be perfected that we might have a unity of the body going forth in love we commit ourselves now to you as we pray these things in your name amen